Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of October 26th. I'm your host, D-Swap, Derek Kessinger, joined by the editorial staff of Kevin Kovac, Robert Holman, and Kyle McFadden. And Kovac, tons of races throughout the nation, tons of different storylines, tons of different winners. So I'm going to let you decide what stuck out to you the most this past race weekend. So, Kevin, what do you got for me? I, I'll just talk about like where I was, I guess, because that stuck out the most. I mean, the World of Outlaws was pretty cool, uh, running three nights in um, in, in Kansas and Missouri uh, and having a w- three different winners and Dennis Herb Jr. clinching the championship. Uh, that's uh, that's obviously big stuff, too. Uh, you don't really see too many three-night weekends uh, uh, for three different racetracks and national tour in October, so uh, that was something different to look at, but uh, what I went to was the the Keystone Cup at Bedford Speedway uh, in Pennsylvania, and uh, twenty two thousand dollars to win. It was a cool it, it was a cool uh, finish too. It was one of them feel good races. Uh, the great the race wasn't great. It was a sixty lap, you know, no no passing for the lead, no passing for the top three really uh, in, in the whole race, and nonstop caution free. But Jeff Ryan won the race. Uh, I mean, a weekend warrior, one hundred percent guy who runs Bedford and Seals Grove and Port Royal on Saturdays every single week. He's been with the same teams uh, for for the Saturdays with the Kurtz family. And then Friday nights, he's been with the Elbin family for, uh, you know, nearly two decades, both of them. Uh, and to see him win $22,000 and really dominate the race at Bedford, his home track, in the Elbin car. I mean, this is a family that, you know, it, it's, it's uh, been going. It's a team that started with Bob Elbin Sr. back in the 50s when he was racing. Uh, and then for the last 20 years, they've been running super late models. And since 2005 with Ryan, just a one night a week deal, basically for the most recent years, they would go here and there, Huston, a couple other tracks uh, in the, in, you know, a little bit about 10 years ago, but now they're just re- really strict to the one race track. And, and to see them win $22,000, which is, probably more than they'd won all year long in the way to the championship in 13 races at Bedford uh, and to kind of double their earnings in one race. Uh, it's really a big deal for a weekly team and a, and a weekly driver in Ryan, who's really one of the most accomplished weekly drivers in the country with when his eighth championship at Bedford this year. And he's won, I think, 14, I believe it is at Seals Grove, another one at Port Royal, plenty of championships that he's a, uh, He's uh, accumulated in his career, and he's 45 years old. And uh, it, it just was a good scene seeing uh, they lost the Elbin team lost their their uh, man that started it all. Bob Elbin Senior. He passed away last year, uh, but uh, Bob's wife uh, Leona, 87 years old, she was at the racetrack, and Bob Elbin Junior. Tim Elbin. Uh, the sons were there. They they prepare the race car each week, and you know just a, just a good scene. Uh, to see them all at the racetrack celebrating a win like that uh, in, a, in a big way. Yeah, big-time win, big-time payday, uh, hard worker Jeff Ryan in that race team is. And, Kovac, you said nearly two decades. You don't see that much nowadays, especially at the local level. I mean, the only one that comes to mind for a weekend warrior, I hate to say it, was when Weaver had Jimmy Johns, and that was like only for 12 years. This one's approaching 20, so that's pretty special to see uh, the car owner just keep supplying and uh, supporting Jeff Ryan over the years. And that is a pretty good leadoff spot there. Uh, Robert, he mentioned your boy, Dennis Herb Jr. He wins a championship. So I think that caught your eye a little bit too. You were at Why Not. Uh, were you in the middle of that fiasco where everybody got escorted out of there? Or 
were you just behind enemy lines or how was it up down there in Mississippi? Well, you know, at, uh, I was kind of, I guess, shocked that, uh, things kind of escalated as quickly as they did down there at, uh, down there in, uh, in Mississippi, things got heated early, uh, heat race action on Saturday night, uh, which was pretty entertaining. Uh, I have to say, but, uh, of course, by Sunday, I turned my attention to the world of outlaws, and I'll let uh, I'll let Kyle uh, speak to that a little bit uh, when he gets ready there. But um, of course, yes, by Sunday, I turned my attention to the world of outlaws and, and was watching uh, where Dennis wrapped up the the title there. So congratulations to him. But I was at Why Not this year. I think that's the sixth year in a row that I've been down there. The seventh fall nationals that I've been to. It's kind of one of those traditional races that I that I've just. I've grown accustomed to going to every year, and one of the ones I look forward to because it's uh, really a laid-back atmosphere. But I'll tell you, Saturday night was not really as laid-back as it usually is. It was intense from the get-go. You know, you had a couple of uh, ill-advised sliders uh, early in the race, or early in the night, went through some heat races. Uh, Tyler Erb and Neil Baggett kind of had some some issues in, in their heat race. It was entertaining. Uh, and in fact, I thought that all that was had been put to rest. Actually, I thought that you know they, we get to the feature and we move on, and and then uh, about halfway through the feature, Neil starts kind of sliding back through the field. And I thought to myself, and he dropped really fast. And I thought, yeah, surely, surely he's surely he's moved on, you know. And and uh, which you got to keep in mind though, the what started this was Neil Baggett had led the whole heat race ahead of Tyler Herb. And on the last corner of the last lap, Herb slid him and they did make contact. And it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to brush across your nose contact. And maybe, you know, everybody's got, almost everybody has plastic right rear quarter panels nowadays. And you brush across the nose and you almost, you're like, well, he didn't even touch him. Well, with these plastic quarter panels, you can't tell a lot of times after the fact if somebody's touched somebody or not, because they really just fold up and you can't even tell it. Neil's whole left front fender was wadded up, basically. I mean, it was it was kind of dangling there. So he got him pretty good when he when he went across through there. And Baggett was none too happy about it for sure. And and the thing is, that was a slide for the outside front row starting spot. That's how important it was. It wasn't like it was a slide for third place or a slide for a transfer spot, which, you know, would have been a big, I guess, too, but it was for the outside front row starting spot. And um, I guess Tyler, you know, really felt like he'd rather pass that one car at that moment than have to pass, try to pass four or five cars, which has been the equivalent of starting back where Neil wound up starting. So after Tyler lost the lead there, he's running second. And, uh, you know, they go by him. They go by Neil late in the race, I guess with about, 10 laps to go or something like that. And Tyler goes by and Neil lets him go or doesn't doesn't know realize he's going by at that moment. And so I'm like, okay, he Neil has letting this go. Whew, okay, nothing's gonna happen here. And then I guess Neil ran him back down and wrecked him, you know, and and uh tried to wreck Tyler, uh tried to take Tyler out of the race there. So uh and that's why Neil Baggett got disqualified from that event. Apparently he hadn't let it go. Apparently he was still a bit miffed at uh, at the uh, at the Lucas Oil regular, the the outsider, so to speak, who came in there and kind of ruffled a, a feather or two in the heat race. 
And uh, I guess, you know, it's understandable because uh, he that starting out front would have been really, really big. Uh, but I uh, did not get arrested. I actually didn't see anyone get arrested or hauled off Thank or anything goodness. like that. I, I, yeah, I tried to keep my distance. Uh, I had a lot to do. And in fact, I was going to I had gone back to, to talk to some people. And so I come back around to, to Neil's trailer and there was like no one there. I couldn't find him anywhere. Cause I was going to get a comment from him. He was, he was, maybe he had left the property. I don't know, but he was, he was nowhere to be found. So, uh, and then of course, Tyler had, uh, went on and ran, was preparing for the crate race, which he, he won the, the 604 crate late model race, uh, in his, uh, family owned stuff in his dad's car. So I didn't, uh, get a chance to speak with him either. It was a, not really a late night there. Usually those nights are pretty early on the second night at Why Not, which is good. First night was like 2 a.m. before I left, uh, the prelim night, so that was kind of tough. But uh, all in all, it was a really good weekend down there. Uh, you know, 35 super late models, 54 crate late models, about 30 or 40 sportsmen or 602 powered late models. You know, just a ton of late models packed in there uh any time that you get that many cars and and this is one of those things Derek that people are like well the car counts are off here the car counts are off here I always go back to this point Derek that anytime you have 120 late models type cars in the pit area which 15 years ago you didn't have those many divisions of late models the car count has not necessarily fallen off you know, the car count for the high, the, the upper division may not be the same, but you still have the same. People are just in different divisions of the same kind of car with this different motors. So you still had 120 late model cars in the pit area. Why not? Which is remarkable. Uh, it was a really good weekend for uh, Charles Thrash and the family. And uh, I really, in 28th annual. And let's not overlook the fact that hometown boy Spencer Hughes picks up yeah, his first super win. late model win of the year. And it was a big one. It was uh, his, his girlfriend was there. Uh, all his friends and family are there. He's from Meridian. It was a huge win for Spencer Hughes. So congratulations. You know, here we are. I'm four minutes into this, five minutes into this. We haven't even talked about Spencer Hughes. So congratulations to Spencer Hughes because it was a, a well-deserved win, a long time coming, even though he's a young guy. It was a long time coming simply because he's had such a an up and down year in that and with the Sims family. Uh and I hopefully this will turn him around and point him in the right direction moving forward to twenty twenty three. Yeah, kudos to Hughes getting up the big getting his first win of the season. Like you said, Spencer's had an up and down season. Kudos to Thrash and company having a successful weekend, a lot of late models, pretty good racing, and kudos to getting done early on Saturday night after a very late, late Friday night, at least for the super late model portion of the event. So, uh, and kudos to you, Robert, for you know not getting arrested and you know keeping your uh, distance away and letting all the let the professionals handle it. So I'm very proud of you, um, Kyle. How about that World of Outlaws weekend, October? Uh, tracks they haven't been to in a long time. Tracks they've never been to at all. You know, pretty good famous tracks in that region, you know, Humboldt and all that. Great racing. We saw passes for the lead, three different winners. We had we crowned a champion officially. I know we still have the world finals, but Dennis Herb Jr. picks up the championship. Pretty fun, great weekend from the outside looking in. How was it there going to all three races? He even almost got to interview the real GOAT, Billy Moyer. He almost picked up the big win the other night. Yeah, I actually did talk to Billy after that race, after his runner-up finish. I meant for the dub, for the dub. For the dub, correct. And so, you know, I'm sitting here 
listening to Kevin and Robert speak. And, you know, when you're out at these races, especially at a, a three day weekend, as I was in Kansas and Missouri, and you're out in no man's land to kind of begin with, you're in your own world. And, you know, you don't really know what else is really going on outside of what you're covering. So clearly a lot of racing going on. And, you know, first and foremost, Dennis Ur picked up that championship. And honestly, I feel really bad that I didn't even know that that had happened for him until I'd got back to my hotel and getting ready to leave at 3.30 a.m. or 3 a.m. for the airport uh, that next morning. And, you know, because Tanner English, I mean, he was in position for his 18th straight top 10 uh, until uh, something in his suspension had broke midway through that race. And, you know, it didn't really cross my mind that, um, you know, that Tanner would have squandered enough points for Dennis to have locked it up that night. And so I'm sitting here looking at the results now. Tanner English finished 25th. Dennis Erb, another top five effort for him. He hadn't finished outside top five. I was looking back at the results in a woo race. They've only had six or seven of them since the start of September, but he hasn't finished outside top five in a series race since August. So, you know, clearly just consistency itself without a win during that span, you know, got the job done for him. And so it's, it's, it's cool to see a guy like Dennis Herb obviously had never won a national touring title before finally get it done. And, um, you know, that's obviously the tops, the weekend storylines from where I was unpacking it just a little bit more, you know, Chase Younghands picked up, you know, his first outlaw victory at Humboldt on Friday since 2019. And that felt like it was last, you know, like I felt like that race now looking back at everything that had happened was, was like last Monday, it, you know, feels like, and you know, great car count there too. 38 cars, uh, great car counts, honestly, all weekend, 38 cars on Friday, 35 on Saturday at 81 and then 26, on Sunday at US 36. So, um, and then on Saturday, um, Brandon Shepard picked up, I guess, his first win uh, in the Shepard Riggs racing era. We can call it that because I was uh, walking through the pits on Saturday and he had uh, rewrapped his new trailer from Ramirez Motorsports that he had bought over the summer. And it had the, the new uh, Shepard Riggs racing logo on the door. So, Guess we can officially say that uh, his his new venture there with Scott Riggs and Riggs Racing is underway with that win. And uh, you guys can, or people who haven't read it yet, can go back and and read that story that I did on on Brandon Shepard's win on Saturday. He just kind of felt like it, even though you know he's a four time outlaw champion and we all know what he's capable of doing. He felt like you know Saturday was a big burden that had been lifted off of his. Sh- shoulders and and just getting that first one out of the way even under the new circumstances that he's in and even though you know he knows that he's not going to set himself up for failure he just uh just getting that first one out of the way getting that first win out of the way um almost like a new head coach as he switches over to uh either an NBA team or a college basketball team you know getting that first one out of the way is big it's big regardless so um Big night for Brandon Shepard and Billy Moyer, too. You know, I was sitting there watching that race. So close. I honestly thought that Billy was better than Brandon in the first half of that race. And uh, 
you know, they got the traffic there and it was really good racing and traffic. It was three wide at one point there for the lead uh, with Ryan Gustin on the bottom and Moyer in the middle and Shepard up top. And I really, I honestly thought that Billy was going to get him at some point. And then caution came out, I think on lap 20, um, three laps into them racing three wide for the lead. And Billy Moyer couldn't quite uh, get another opportunity like that again. So, but no, it was great. It was a great race. And, you know, Billy told me afterward, it's, it's finally good to get back to how we should be running. And I'm like, wow, you know, like he still clearly has a lot left in him. And, and so, I mean, he was going for his first outlaw victory since 2015. So it was promising to see him run like that. And then on, on Sunday too, great race at, uh, us 36 with Mike Marler picking up the victory, three lead changes too, uh, during that, during that race. Christmas I really thought that Tyler, I thought, I thought that Tyler Bruni, well, the racing overall over the weekend, if you don't look at, you know, the two races that, you know, Chase Young hands and Brandon Shepard led all, all 40 laps from the pole it was actually really good. You know, Mike Marler went 17th to fourth on Friday and then, you know, on Saturday had a three wide battle for the lead, even though there was no lead changes technically. So I mean, it was still really good racing. But on Sunday, um, I really thought that Tyler Bruni was going to pick up his first outlaw victory. And, uh, you know, down at, at, at the redraw on the front stretch, he drew the pole and he wasn't very enthusiastic about drawing the pole, probably because he, you know, knew that it would be very difficult um getting through lap traffic early on and it certainly was it looked like it like us 36 i had never been there before as for so many others and it looked like it like the the turns were like the banking and just how wide the like the turns were and the corners were it looked like you were watching the race and and watching guys kind of funnel on to the straightaways it looked like you're merging from a four lane or three lane three lane highway onto you know one little back road coming onto the front stretch or back stretch if that makes sense so it uh tyler bruni and chase young hands when they both took the lead you know they almost got bottled up and almost wrecked carrying so much momentum coming off the corners coming onto the straightaways uh, when they got to lap traffic you know they approached them so fast and that allowed mike marler to to close in and it was uh, a a good race there and uh i think Marler's victory was his 13th of the year there too. So great. Mike Marler keeps his stellar year up and uh, just, just keeps adding to what, you know, he has already accomplished this year. You know, he's only had eight wins or he only had eight wins combined, you know, in 2020 and 2021. So Mike Marler 13th win his fifth outlaw victory of the year too. So um, yeah, a lot of storylines this past week and a lot of things to unpack and, so it was cool that we had all three of us, uh, Robert, Kevin, and I, at, at three different locations. There's not too many times where you get that. So, um, yeah, great weekend and getting ready for the World Finals now. Yeah. Can't wait to see a World Finals, Kyle. You did, all three of you guys did a great job, as always, this past week. And it was pretty cool to see you guys at you know three different parts of the country. One thing I took away from you know that Outlaw weekend was Billy Moyer in Victory Lane says, I think we'll probably race again next year. So I thought that was pretty funny because, you know, he's always saying he's retiring. I talked to him at um, Knoxville during one lap, one beer. He was kind of alluding to him that he still wants to run. You can tell in his eyes and his heart, 
But he's like, I don't know if I can continue to get these opportunities. And this year with the fire of their hauler and stuff like that, kind of put him behind the eight ball there for a you know, month or two. But, yeah, uh, blown motors too as well at uh, Knoxville. That kind of, you know, made him not race here the last couple of weeks. But good bounce back for the for the veteran, the GOAT, the Hall of Famer, Billy Moyer. Before we get to our topic, though, Robert, I'm going to give you two minutes. Just talk about your boy, Dennis Serb Jr. champion. I want you to go in more detail. I mean, it is pretty cool. He capitalized. He's going to get a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar paycheck. He's won races in you know all three national series besides okay three of the four. So he's had a good solid year. You know, Dennis Herb Jr. is your twenty twenty-two World of Outlaw champion officially. But I wanted to get the you know the man, the myth, the legend, Robert, just a little uh, little uh, two minutes just to talk about his season, and it was a pretty good accomplishment for a guy that's been racing for a long, a long time. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Dennis has really been grinding, you know, for, for a long time. If you had to go back, well, all the way back to the Have a Tampa days where he was uh, like the the rookie of the year in the Have a Tampa series, like in 98 or something like that. Before Kyle was uh, born. 98, 99, oh. yeah, for real. And, and you know, and, and he has really been at it. Um, just basically just goes about his business every single week without, you know, bothering anybody, without – without uh asking for for much you know and without uh wanting the the limelight he doesn't do donuts when he you know he doesn't do donuts when he wins a race he barely cracked a smile i think you know when he won the dream i think he finally got a had a big grin on his face you know hundred thousand dollars to win uh you know if you look at him during his, his interviews during uh when he wins a heat race and goes to the redraw or whatever for the world outlaws races nowadays and they ask him a question he's you know basically just his his line basically his line is you know we just hope we can get it done you know he just wants to go out there and and get the best finish he absolutely can on any given night whether it's he's starting 15th and can finish fifth or whether he's starting on the pole and can lead every lap uh he has had a good year one of his i I would definitely call it not necessarily a bounce back year because it's it's more than a bounce back year because he had gone through a couple of years of mediocrity and to come out and have such a good speed weeks to win on the Lucas Tour, to win on the World of Outlaws Tour, to win a, a Castrol Flow Night in America race, to win on that tour, to win on on these different series against a different competition uh, says a lot about where his program is right now. And I honestly noticed it at the end of last year. Uh, he really picked things up uh, over the last probably six weeks last year and was really six weeks to two months last year was really running a ton better. And it carried over to this year, carried right in. That's, that's how important that, that momentum, like late season momentum is nowadays with no off season to carry that over into the new year, carry that over to speed weeks. He did that. And, uh, you know, it propelled him to, to his his first well-deserved. I think he's a well-deserved champion. uh, And this is kind of, Honestly, this is kind of a championship for the working man, you know, in my opinion, because he has been out there grinding for a long time. He, you know, three su- dirt car summer nationals championships. He's he's not flashy. He doesn't win a bunch of races every. He's not going to go out and win fifteen races a year, but uh, he's just going to grind. And uh, ask anybody if that's point points racing. If you're a points racer, you're you're a grinder. You've got to just put your put your nose down and get that done every single week. And that's what uh, Dennis and Heather have done this year. So congratulations to them. Heck yeah. I always said Steve Francis was the face of points racing. He's now uh, retired and being a outlaw official. So I think maybe you can pass the torch 
to Dennis Herb Jr. As you can tell from Summer Nationals days, this year in the World of Outlaws, he could be the new face of points racing. And uh, congrats to Dennis and Heather on the championship. They're probably going to celebrate and have a good time out there in Charlotte here next week. Kovac, we saw that random three-night outlaw swing at three different tracks in October, which is just odd in itself. Usually you only have like a weekend thing, but I thought it was pretty cool. So I kind of wanted to discuss this a little bit. Are we in favor of, you know, going to three or four different tracks on a weekend? Like you would maybe see like on a summer nationals week where you go back to back to back to back or kind of what we've been going, what we've been seeing here the last couple of years on the national series and maybe some regional series where they stay at a racetrack for two to three days. And that's all they race at. I know with like fuel and different circumstances, drivers might be in the fan of that. I don't know. What did you what are you a fan of? I think there's pros and cons to both, but that's kind of what our topic wants to be. Are we a fan of staying at the same racetrack for three or four days, or do you like going to different racetracks three or four days in a row? Uh put me in the corner in the in in the for going to different racetracks. I mean, I I think some of these it it's gotten to the point now where there's like you're you're at the one racetrack for too long. I mean, I, I like the little variety of going around, seeing some different places, getting out on the road and, you know, leaving one place and heading to the next one. That's what, like, that's the world of outlaws is supposed to be, right? I mean, like, you're the the, the, the name outlaws. You're their outlaws traveling around. They're road warriors. Uh, not supposed to be just camping out at one racetrack for three or four days. And, I mean, there's some that were like, man, the Nebraska last year, five days in a row was uh that was way too much you know there's i don't want to be in the at one trip especially in the summer it's fine during the speed weeks you know east bay and Volusia. you can go for five six days in a row at one place because that that's you know there's not much of track you can't go around all over the place in florida and run different places but uh but when when we're in the middle of the season i i've i think they've gotten away from the three-day re- weekends and uh three different track weekends a lot uh the series I mean, sometimes it's tough, you know, I mean, it seems like in this, in, as time has gone on, I think that, I mean, you can't have three racetracks that are four or five hours apart each night. You don't want to have that kind of, I mean, an hour and a half, an hour, two hours, you'd think would be perfect. But then there's also that those promoters, they feel like, well, if, that, if there's too many tracks within like a two hour radius uh, running three nights in a row, then it's not going to work. You know, I mean, you're, you're used, I mean, I, I don't know if that's the right thought i mean that's just saying that you're you're uh you're gonna like rely on the same two or three thousand fans i guess to come to all three nights and uh i mean i guess you you can't make more of a camping deal of it when you have it one track for three nights but if if you're gonna have a three night deal at a rate at a at a you know at one racetrack it's got to be one where there's like a major event at the end you know it's a crown jewel type event i just don't want to see a two ten thousand dollar to win shows or two fifteen one twelve one fifteen something like that i mean it's got to be something where it's like this is a real big event uh if you're going to run three nights in a row i'd run much rather just go to the three nights and go different racetracks and you see something different and um i think it's better for the man man a cruise and stuff the teams uh, they they go to these racetracks and you know set up in their haulers and the pits for three or four days and it's just, man, that's not very fun, I would think, for them. I mean, they're just sitting at this racetrack for, I mean, sometimes the crew, the, the drivers and stuff get a rental car and all and, and go out to the casinos or something. But most of the crew guys, they're just sitting in that hauler for three days 
and probably usually four, even if it's, uh, you know, like when they'll get there a day early. So I think they'd rather go to a different place every night too and, and give a little variety to it. Is there kind of like maybe some tracks you could do this at, like, you know, like East Bay or Volusia Speed Weeks when you're there for six nights? I know by the end of like Volusia or East Bay, you're, you're ready to get out of there. But if you're the drivers and you're doing well at the same racetrack, you could be like, you know what? I don't mind stay, staying because Sheppy, when he won last year three in a row, he's like, well, hell yeah, I don't want to leave East Bay yet. We saw one more night. I was in contention for that race, or, you know, I have a better chance. But it didn't obviously affect the crowd there. So I think at cer- certain circumstances, Kovac, maybe you could stay at a track more than three days. But I'm with you. I'm like, I like that Summer Nationals. I mean, look at that Illinois Speed Week when you had those four mm-hmm. nights in a row, four different tracks all closely, you know, knit. I felt like that gave it some charm. Give it a little bit of old school compared to maybe like a Volusia or East Bay where you're there for a whole week. And I think, you know, you get that diversity. We had great finishes, different, you know, driving styles and different uh, guys mixing it up. And if you go to like Volusia or East Bay, usually the top three or four guys are in contention every single week and it may, you know, kind of get old but the same guys winning. I don't know, uh, Kyle, what do you think? I think you can have an argument for both, but I'm leaning for going to, you know, different race every single night than being somewhere three to four days unless. You know, it's like an East Bay or Volusia, or like Kovac says, Eldora type thing where we're ending it up with a big, you know, $150,000, $200,000 to win or even $100,000 to win. Yeah, I, I really enjoy traveling to different racetracks, just like this past weekend. You know, I mean, it was it was the perfect, I felt like, variety, or I guess, first of all, it was the perfect, you know, length between the, there's just driving distance between the three tracks. I mean, it was in three completely different racetracks too so you know you get you know the variety you know you get the 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 tracks three first of all three different tracks you know in in three days on the weekend um a weekend stretch and i really enjoy those you know just trips and you know as opposed to being out in charlotte let's say earlier in the year for the return of a colossal 100 that was supposed to be a four-day event turned out to be three because one of those nights got rained out and you know you're there it's the same track even though we're about to do the same thing next week at the world finals but you know it's still the colossal 100 it's not the world finals and so it all depends on the event what the event you know what what people know of the event the you know prestige what's on the line uh, the overall atmosphere and experience. And so, you know, I've never been to Volusia in February, but I would imagine that the weather is decent and everybody that who has been cooped up for the winter, at least race, you know, fans and even, you know, those still are just in, involved in the sport or working in the sport, even though it's not really, really the off seasons get shorter, seems like, as the years go on, you know, you're still cooped up in the winter and still ready to go start up a new season. And so, you know, I feel like the energy and the atmosphere there would, uh, there's anticipation, right. That needs to be let out. And so in world finals too, you know, you're wrapping up the year and at Eldora, you know, it's Eldora, you know, I don't really think I don't mind being at Eldora for four straight nights, you know, for the biggest races, that our sport will ever have to offer. And so I am all for, you know, what Kevin said. And I was kind of looking back through the outlaw schedule just now. And there's 
really not even a handful of weekends to where the series and, you know, I don't make the schedule of the series. I don't want it to sound like, you know, like it, like they need to change the way that they do things schedule wise. I'm just saying it, 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 it'd be nice to have more weekends like these, like this past weekend in October and like in May when the series visited Bloomsburg and then Marion Center and then Port Royal, you know, and a three race span there and and it you just kind of look back through the schedule and you don't really get a whole lot of that anymore you know they had a three race stretch in august too the um williams grove sharon and then tri-city tri-city got rained out but you know you still had had the opportunity there to go to three different race tracks uh on the same weekend and really you know looking through the schedule i don't don't see any other three race weekends at three different race tracks throughout the year so that's pretty much it. And, you know, there was one trip over the summer during the summer nationals where I had to drive it. I forget. It might've been Davenport to try tri city. I think that was like a five ish hour drive. I think, you know, that was, uh, I guess, you know, if, if that's the longest trip that, that I had to take between tracks all year, that's not bad at all. But, you know, I would have to say that, yeah, four hours is, is, that four-hour radius is, would be the sweet spot between tracks. I think anything more than six. I mean, guys shoot, you know, some drivers, they drive through the night to 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 get, you know, from one series race to the next, you know, drive across the country. I think, you know, Ryan Gustin won Flow Racing Night in America race earlier this year. I think it was right before the Bloomsburg race. You know, he, he drove from, uh, I forget where the track was, but he drove a considerable amount of distance through the night to to get to uh that Bloomsburg outlaw race uh this year. So, you know, that that's what I'm trying to say is 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 that these guys, they're they're our drivers, these drivers and our sport who travel and they hit the road, you know, they they they're made differently. They're built differently. You know, they want to travel, you know, and then and, and they they want to race as much as they can and yeah i mean i'm all for going out and seeing three different racetracks on a given weekend i think that just makes sense for sure i'm in that boat you know starting at dirt on dirt for you know 11 years going to a different racetrack every single night in the summer nationals we had the you know um the mars versus ump tri-state challenge where we went to three different racetracks in three different states you know all within two or three hours difference um Definitely does have like that old school flair to it. And then nowadays you're seeing, you know, changing to going to the same racetrack two to three nights. But Robert, we can maybe be okay with three different racetracks. I think drivers would be okay with it too. But we're going like six or seven in a row to different racetracks. We can get sleepy. The drivers can get cranky. So all that stuff can happen. But what are, what are you in favor of? You like going to the different racetracks or are you kind of like a house cat that likes to stay in one spot for two to three days? Because you know, if you're going four or five hours to a racetrack every single night, it can't take a toll on you. Well, I definitely, let me throw this out and say there's no right or wrong answer. It's all personal preference, okay? Now, as a race fan, I love, as a race fan, I love to go to a different track every single night because when the race is over, I can go through a Taco Bell drive through and I can go to my hotel room or drive to the next place or whatever, and I can go to sleep. As an employee of Flow Racing and Dirt on Dirt, 
it is sometimes, like you said, can be a struggle when you have to drive to the next place, write a couple stories, get in bed at six, get check out of a hotel at 10 or 11. You're, you're running on fumes by the end of the week. It is a struggle doing sometimes doing what we do. Now, as a race car owner who doesn't travel much, but has traveled, you know, we've raced in like 14 states. So it's not like we've just sat here at our local track for the last 20 years. We've, we've tried to get out and venture out a little bit. I like to travel. And I, and I've said that I've, I've told more than one person this, that I actually, it's sometimes for me personally, it is harder to do what we do as writers, as, as journalists covering the sport than it is and the crew people are going to be like, oh, well, we work our tails off, and you've never been out here working when it's 105 degrees on the Summer Nationals. Well, they're wrong because I've never, I've never been on the Summer Nationals. I have been out working when it's 105 degrees on a race car trying to, you know, swap tires and change stuff or change a motor and change, you know, work on stuff. Okay, so I have done that. It's actually easier to do that because most of the time when they have a lot of damage and stuff, they get they work on their stuff at night. They work on it before they travel. They work on it before they load it up if there's a ton of damage. So it's they're not actually working on it. You know, how many times have we all shown up at a racetrack hoping to get something done at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon on one of these deals, and you can't find a single soul because they're all, like, hidden. They're all taking a nap. I've, I've, I've woke so many people up from taking naps in the afternoon. It's understandably so because it is a grueling, tiring sport, and you have to sleep when you can. You sleep when you get a chance to. Personally, as a as a journalist, I don't mind being at one place, especially one hotel, whether it's a different track or not. I like to stay at one area so I'm not driving and traveling so I can get my work done and, and not have to check out of a hotel and get on the road and, and be running on four hours sleep when I get to the next place and, and just be terrible in a bad mood when I get home from a weekend. But as a fan, I, I love I love to go to the different tracks. I love to be driving down the road and just, you know, that's awesome. As a as somebody who owns a crate late model, I like to go to different tracks too. You know, if any time that I can get my brothers and my schedule and my brother's schedule to work out and I can go say race at uh at Boyd's and or North Georgia and then go to somewhere in South Carolina or North Carolina or, or and then Ray Cook's track over in Tri-County and those little, you know, it's you have to be reasonable, though. You have to keep it, in my opinion, to four hours or less. Four hours. Once you stretch it, that drive at night beyond four hours, then it begins to get a, a little rough for everyone. And everyone in that hauler starts to get grumpy. And, you know, like my brother does 90% of the driving when we're out on the road. And I'm over either usually sleeping or you know, so it's it's tough on that particular person. So when you look back at, is there a right way or wrong way to schedule these things? Geography to me is the biggest player. But if you look and also the format or the type of racing that you're going to put on and the racetrack you go to, I look at the three race weekend that I did. First of all, let's throw Speed Weeks out of the equation. Speed Weeks is a completely different animal. It's a completely different situation. It is wonderful. Who wouldn't want to race six nights in a row at one of those tracks when you can get up the next morning and you 
depending on where you stay, you're within 20 minutes from the ocean. I mean, who wouldn't want to to stay there for a week when it's uh, 10 degrees and, you know, in Illinois and, and it's 75 degrees in Florida? Everybody wants to do that for a week. So let's throw speed weeks out. But if you look back at this year's schedule, one of the best weekends of the World of Outlaws season, in my opinion, where they stayed at one track was Davenport. You had a couple of 10s. You had a 30 to close it out on the finale. And the racing was really, really excellent. Nobody wants to go to a crappy racetrack and spend three days following the leader for three nights in a row. So it has a lot to do with the facility you go to. It has a lot to do with the area you go to. Uh, Davenport also at that fairgrounds is, uh, and you know, you've been there, Derek. It is a phenomenal facility asphalt everywhere they've even put more concrete in there now than they were there there was the year before last so it's it's cozy it's convenient there's a dollar general across the street there's a mcdonald's right down the road there's a grocery store you know when you stay at one place you will see people borrowing cars and stuff because when you see stay at one place for so long that puts a burden on the grocery shopper you know somebody's got to go out and get groceries to make sure that all these things, all these provisions are there for these drivers and for the for the entire week. And you got to make sure you're packed, make sure you're prepared. Whereas if you're going to a different spot every night, you know, you see how many times we've gone by places and seen haulers parked at Walmart. Well, it's more than just a big parking lot. It's more than just convenience to where you can work on a car if you need to get in and out of your parking lot with your big hauler. It's also it's a Walmart. You can go in there and get some grocery shopping, get your shaving cream if you ran out. You know, you know, if you don't want to wash clothes, like one driver's told me in the past, if you don't want to wash clothes, go buy some more damn underwear. Whatever you need to do, you can go to Walmart and do it, you know. But when you're stuck at one place, it it, it puts a burden on a lot of people. What elim- alleviates that burden is having a great racetrack, having great facilities, having great pay, you know. If you can do that for three nights in a row, I don't think anybody's going to complain. Nobody's going to complain about going to a great racetrack for three nights in a row. It's when you go to crappy racetracks and have to stay there for three nights in a row that nobody wants to do. So, you know, if you're, if you're, if you, I think if a series can balance it, I just, I don't think anybody can complain because I see the pros and the cons for both. And I love both. I will disagree with Kyle on that. I don't want to stay at Eldora for, for four days. Three days at any racetrack other than Speed Weeks, three days is about enough for me. Three days my after the day three, my fun meter is pegged and I'm ready to move on to the next place. I think four is, to me personally is is too many. I think three is should never be more than three. Well, I got breaking news for you. Eldora will be five days next year, so you're doomed. Well, I'm just kidding. Thank you I'm for kidding that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. No. Hey, you know, and the thing is at a when you go to a place like Eldora also. I just like spending time with you at the hotel, Robert. Well, I just think that's a lot of. If you can get through the night early, okay. Look how many times we've been to Eldora, and it hasn't, and and it has gone smooth. It hasn't had a rain out, but man, you get to Eldora and you're there for for a long time, and and all of a sudden you sit there for four hours for a rain out, and then they they don't let. How many times we sat at Eldora and they're like held us hostage for four hours, and then then we get to go you know, to our hotel and didn't even see a race and had to come back and be back the next morning in six hours to run a double. Nobody wants to do that either. 
You know, if you if you can get out of a racetrack at a decent, that's a key. If you can get out of a racetrack at a decent time, then it's not that big of a deal to drive four hours, or it's not that big big a deal to come this. back the next day. You just answered it for everybody, Kovac, didn't he? If we get done at a decent time, we're okay with both scenarios, right? <laughs> yeah, that's Robert, right. Yeah, you get, yeah, you get to have a little, uh, uh, you know, you can relax a little bit. You're not just like being up until the wee hours and uh, working on cars or working on stories, but. Yeah, I mean, like, and and I I do agree with like, there's got to be a, if you're gonna have three different racetracks, it has to be within somewhat of a decent uh, space. I mean, I've I've I think the longest I've ever gone between two tracks back to back nights was uh, with the World of Outlaws. We had when I was with the Outlaws, I had a race at a Ashwikin in Ontario, uh, which is on you know like west of Niagara Falls. And the next night was in Drummondville, Quebec, which was probably about eight or nine hour drive. That's a heck of a long drive. But of course, it was supposed to be in there was supposed to be a race uh, a, a travel day in between. But then Ashwikin got rained out till Friday and all the teams agreed like, well, we could do it this one time. I mean, it was I mean, getting into the next town at like eight in the morning or nine in the morning. It's tough. But uh, but you could do that once just to get a race in. You don't want to be barely, definitely don't want to schedule a race like that. That's for sure. Uh, on, on the original schedule, uh, you want to you want to be able to be somewhat close together. Yeah, and then also to uh, to your point, Kovac, it's uh, it's got to be like if time zones makes a huge thing too. Like if you're on Central time zone, you have to go across to the you know Eastern and then back. I think the one time I was in Charleston, Illinois, six and a half hours up to Lake Odessa, Michigan. Then we had to go six and a half hours back to Peoria, Illinois for a summer nationals. That was three nights in a row. So that losing the hour and gaining hours also a clutch factor as well. Yes. Kovac. I think I had that happen with an outlaw race too. I believe it was North Alabama to, uh, uh, Tazewell. I believe it was one year. Uh, it might've been like 2012 or something like that. I think it was the year that, um, or 2014, one, one of those years, I don't know, but, um, but it was a deal where, uh, you know, and this is the South too. So some of the races might go a little longer sometimes And North Alabama was pretty long show. You know, it started late with the track being wet and stuff. And, uh, and then you lose an hour going to the next one. And, oh God, I mean, that was a good, that was a good six, five and a half, six hour ride overnight. Plus you lose an hour. Uh, not good, not good. <laughs> it's like if you're gonna have that long of a ride, you better have a quick early night. Get you on the road. Yeah, we all made up some good points. I think Robert, you nail on the head. As long as you get done at a decent hour, both places can be great. I think the location matters where you're at. If you're gonna be there for three or four days, so if you get done early, you can you know go you know do the nightlife like Charlotte. That's a good three or four days of a decent time because you have like all this stuff you can do afterwards. Um, and then like traveling, it kind of just feels like you're an old school outlaw a little bit. If you're going like three days in a row to three different tracks, like Kyle did this past weekend and get a new change of scenery. So both have their pros and cons. I lean towards, you know, going to a different track every single night, but again, it's all personal preference as Robert alluded to. Well, guys, we're uh, closing in on the show and, uh, one more thing, Robert, how about you, buddy? I'm just going to briefly mention that, uh, the, uh, of uh, National 100 is coming up this weekend, which I do believe we will be streaming. Uh, it is uh, a uh, three-day, well, two race days, Saturday and Sunday. A lot of late models, I would suspect, of across about uh, 72 divisions will be there. Uh, you'll have the super late models running for $30,000 to win a finale on Sunday 
And I think the support divisions of late models, which I do believe is three or two or three divisions of support division late models. I know it's crates and sportsmen's and maybe even limiteds, uh, but 5,000 to win each for them. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, we were kind of talking in our chat, uh, I believe yesterday or day before, me and uh, Kevin and, and Todd, and, and we're hoping that this is kind of a resurgence of the National 100. They're hoping, I think, that that they had, you know, a pretty good uh, Alabama State Championship weekend this year. So I'm hoping that this is kind of a, a resurgent weekend for them, and we, we start to see this event itself maybe start to creep back into, into the onto the radar, I guess, uh, of where this event should be when, you know, Randall Chupp and Scott Bloomquist and, and all these all these big-name drivers were were uh, winning this race. And, you know, I, I think uh, we discussed, I think um, Dennis Erb's supposed to be there, Brandon Overton's supposed to be there. It should be a good a good field down there at, uh, at Phoenix City this weekend. So if you can't get out, go out to the racetrack if you're in the area. Give it a chance. Go out there. Watch the race. If you're not, if you're somewhere in you know on the East Coast or West Coast, tune it in and watch it, and uh, and maybe we'll see some good racing. A lot of bizarre incidents have happened there. A lot of vintage classic moments as well. Robert, I think like Scott Bloomquist, didn't he like for like five or six years in a row just start on the pole no matter what? Like even if he qualified poorly, they would just give him like they would just give him a good starting spot. I heard that's like a rumor there. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I will say vintage Scott Bloomquist is the is the guy who this is the Scott Bloomquist who unfortunately I don't think that we'll see anymore. But vintage Scott Bloomquist is the guy who goes and runs the world finals, shows up on the day of the National One Hundred, starts last in his concy and blasts through the field and like either wins it or runs second or something like that. Uh, that's that's vintage Scott Bloomquist. I don't know if we'll see that that Scott Bloomquist anymore, but uh, but that's uh, those are some of those moments that we've that that we've kind of grown to love about East Alabama. It's like who's going to show up here on Sunday and take a chance? And back in the day, I remember one time Scott did. He went and ran the World Finals over at Charlotte and showed up the next day and. If he didn't win it, he damn near did. So I have to look back at the history. But yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a could be a great place. Could be a racy place, you know, even in the daytime. So check it out. Oh yeah, there's been some great races, you know, during my DOD tenure as well. So uh, looking forward to the National 100 this weekend. Be sure to check it out. Kyle, what do you got, Darren McFadden? Well, I have a little update on Josh Richards. I guess uh, I did have an opportunity to kind of follow up with him and just say, hey man, where's the Where's your plans stand for next year? And he has no update right now. Might have something, when I say something, a further update um, around mid-November. So I have to check back in with him there. And I know, um, you know, just, just kind of where he stands right now, especially after, you know, the Devin Moran news that he's going to that Roger Sellers, uh, number 71, double down motorsports team for next year. You know, there's interested to see just uh where josh may fall for next year considering that 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 there really doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of options i mean i i can't think of any other options off the top of my head right now that he where he could possibly fall uh in terms of just rides that are open right now that have been existing um either this year or in a recent year so yeah very sad and a somber moment that we're talking about josh richards you know doesn't know his future what he's going to do in 2023, a guy that, you know, was an up and comer, has had 
Kovac, you know, just so many legendary runs, wins there for the for all these years, and him to try to find a ride, or even even if he wants to continue racing, just wild in itself. So we're gonna go with you, Kevin. What's your uh, one more thing? Uh, have a big weekend coming up here in Delaware for Super Late Models, uh, part of the Mid Atlantic Championship weekend. Uh, it's become a three day weekend really this year at, uh, at Georgetown Speedway down in southern Delaware. Uh, normally it's a Friday Saturday deal, you know, qualifying uh, Friday night for the Super Late Models and a, a feature on Saturday that pays five thousand to win seven thousand dollars if you put up that hundred dollar uh, you know gambler's bonus and, you know, before the race. I think it's a hundred dollars, so it improve you if you win. Uh, but this year also they added on Thursday because the Camp Barnes Benefit Race, a big show, been going on for forty nine years uh, at. Um, Delaware International Speedway. It's switched over to Georgetown Speedway. This is a show that like it benefits camps that the state police in Delaware uh, put on each year. And, and the state police are heavily involved with the race. Now they're running at Georgetown. It was rained out a few weeks ago. They're running it Thursday night, and that'll be another 5500 to win for super late models. So I, I know like a guy like Rick Eckert, he's running all, you know, he's running the the three nights there and some other guys, you know, so it should be a Pretty decent. Uh, should should attract maybe a few more guys to come down there and race uh, because of that extra race now on Thursday. And so uh, keep an eye on that. And there's also big block modifieds. Also twenty five thousand to win for the big blocks on Saturday. Short track, short uh, super series. All that will be on uh, Flow Racing. Also, it's a Brett Dale promoted uh, events there at Georgetown. So uh, you'll see them all on Flow. Will the Delaware Destroyer be there? The Delaware Destroyer is that? Would that be Ricky Elliott? I don't know. Isn't that Austin the, Hubbard? Wasn't that his nickname? Austin Hubbard. Oh, I guess Austin Hubbard. Yeah. Austin Hubbard's been running a modified a little bit this year, I guess. I, I'm not sure if he'll be there this weekend, but he's run. I don't know when the last time he's run a super late model is actually. He hasn't run it for a while. He's been more in like a, speed a modified. Yeah. Yeah. Modified. And he also has been running a little bit of a crate. But So I'm not sure. I mean, Delaware Destroyer, you got me on that one. I wasn't sure exactly who you were talking about. So. Uh, I also, guess Ricky Ur- really to- Ricky Elliott is like the tornado or something. He or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Either way, if you want to know the like the the face of what burnt means burnt when I say it, it is definitely Austin Hubbard. So when I use the <laughs> term burnt, just just think of Austin Hubbard. If people that know, hey, him, he's, he's a great family guy, man now. He's got two kids. I know, he's got two kids. He's got another kid just came a few weeks ago. Gosh. Man, he's a big. He's a he's a dad. You went from Ricky Bobby Streaker to oh, dad. Yeah. I love it. I love the way life goes, and he grew up. And uh, my one more thing is going to be just talk about the passing of uh, Ed Dixon, um, the Missouri driver, uh, had a battle with cancer, lengthy battle with cancer, passed away this past Thursday. Um, Hall of Famer, three-time national champion, won races at I-55, a couple summer nationals. Is that famous, you know, 50 number, and then it's Teen A, running for the Allen Automotive uh, team out of Peoria area as well. Uh, just a likable guy and, you know, Hall of Famer. And just when we have a passing of legends like him, especially in my neck of the woods, it's uh, very sad. But I just wanted to give a, you know, shout out to his family and friends. That, you know, we're thinking of him, but there's just the passing of Ed Dixon. Uh, you know, just a somber day, you know, in Illinois and Missouri-based racing here this past week. He was a, definitely a good guy to talk in the pits. Also a pretty good wheel man as well. Well, guys, uh, great show as always. Congrats to Dennis Herb Jr. on winning his first national championship with the World of Outlaws. Congrats to all the other weekend winners. This weekend we got the National 100 and other races as well that will be live on Flow Racing. Be sure to check out these three stories throughout the week. Check out Suave Talk. we got plenty of content coming up 
on Dirt Under and Flow Racing to do with the Dirt Late models. Um, until next time, this is Derek Kessinger. Uh, thank you for watching. The, or, yeah, thank you for listening. Sorry, Robert, I messed up again. To the Dirt Reporters, we'll see you next time.